0: Welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by The Autoholic. I'm Steven Diamond. I got Ryan here with me. What's going on, Ryan? Hello. You're uh, in Rhode Island, chilling?
1: I'm back. We had uh, beautiful weather today. I actually got to drive to the office with the top down in the Miata, and that was a real pleasure.
0: Yeah, I'm jealous uh, now that the weather is getting nicer That of your like commute, although I've been walking outside, and it's been... Enjoyable walking through uh, all the spring blossoms and the trees uh, on the East River.
1: You have a lovely commute yourself. It doesn't involve cars. Yeah. It's a lovely commute nonetheless.
0: It is. I can't complain. It it could be much, much worse. And hopefully I'll get on the bike soon and and start biking to work.
1: It's been a little bit cold here for biking still. We had a a warm spell, but Mm -hmm. today I needed to wear a heavy knit sweater uh, with the top (laughs) down.
0: I believe that. Yeah, uh, it felt like summer a week ago and I was actually not ready for it. I feared it. It was humid and it made me not look forward to summer in the city.
1: I feel exactly the opposite. I'm totally ready for summer in Rhode Island and bring You're on the-,
0: in the right place for that.
1: <laughs> Correct. Correct. We suffer through the rest of the year.
0: Well, you I know. was uh,
1: just what was it now two weeks ago in spain
0: yeah i was gonna say it's uh, it's been a while since we've talked and uh we missed an episode last week so i apologize to all of our viewers for you know missing our wonderful voices uh talking about cars i'm sure they're all very worried
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's all my fault viewers steven was was geared and ready to go and i'm just working too hard these days
0: well we did attempt to uh to do one live together we saw each other last weekend and we had a nice little spin together in new jersey in my 911
1: which was a bit distracting and uh made us want to just enjoy the drive rather than go for a podcast
0: right we wanted to live in the moment and just enjoy it for ourselves rather than uh i don't know commit to uh to a recording for 30 minutes or an hour
1: every time i visit Stephen and drive in his 996 I'm always so jealous because it is such a cool car. And the more I think about it, I feel that he's made it into this really unique sort of classic tribute to more original air-cooled 911s, even though it's a water-cooled and it's a 996 that doesn't have the street cred like some of the others do. It's got such a raw, you know, race car, little feel to it. More people need to drive 996s like yours, Steven.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's what I've been hearing recently. Uh, a lot of people have had the opportunity to drive my car, really do uh, tout its its handling abilities and its its just its essence and the sensation you get from driving it. And honestly, I haven't had the opportunity to compare it really to many other. I haven't really driven a, a, another 996. This is the only 996 I've really driven and. I, I vaguely maybe remember what it was like when it was stock, but it, it wasn't stock for very long when we had it. Um, and I've just grown accustomed to the form that it's taken. Um, but everyone tells me it's like the best handling 996 they've ever been in. So I got to drive some other 996s and see what joy I, I really do have. <laughs>
1: you, you almost might be, uh, you might feel sorry for others after you drive. <laughs> A 996 that isn't yours. You can just trust trust our all of our takes on it.
0: I think I do trust, but it would be nice to experience. I, I am a little, uh, you know, it's lowered as low as it can go in the coilovers. And it, you said, uh, as you took a ride in it, that it wasn't terrible over the bumps. But it's still, uh, still a bit harsh, and, and dealing with it on a constant basis can be a lot. But uh, it would be nice to... Just feel what it's like to have a comfortable stock suspension, comfortable, quote-unquote, uh, the original you know, 996 suspension, and, and see what a difference it really makes, and then also how that translates to its handling in the corners.
1: Didn't you drive the 996 cab that I had?
0: Yeah, we went for a, a quick little drive in that, and I, I don't think – it was also a convertible, so there's –
1: Yeah, it's a whole other world
0: that, but, and also a different engine. I definitely, that's what stood out to me the most was the the three six.
1: The three six and the, and the lack of rigidity with the convertible. Right. Well, what I was about to say was it was quite difficult to come back to uh, the U.S. because I was in Spain a couple weeks ago and the weather was just lovely. It was bright sun, 80 degree days, cool breezes going by, you know, it felt like summer had already come and I got back to Rhode Island and it was freaking cold.
0: (laughs) Drop back down for you. Yeah. Well, what part of Spain were you in?
1: I went, this was my first time in Spain. Uh, I know that you've also been in the past and I think we were in similar areas. Um, But what a country, first and foremost. I'm totally taken by Spain and I don't know why everyone hasn't been screaming up and down that I needed to go there after all of my travels in Europe.
0: Well, I will be, uh, you know, to be fair, originally, you know, you and I and our buddy Ross did an epic trip around Norway and Sweden. But your original plan was to drive across Portugal and Spain and visit a bunch of wineries. And I convinced you guys to go to Norway instead, which is, you know. Uh, was overall like the right choice I think but it
1: was definitely the right choice <laughs> because I think that our Norway trip is irreplicable
0: right absolutely
1: and it, even as we're a bit older and maybe have families significant others and so forth the Portugal and Spain trip could be negotiated
0: yeah absolutely and there's plenty of time to to do something like that and um, go to some wineries and drive around that country although it is great so now you finally had an experience to see it um a few years later on and uh yeah what were your thoughts what were your, what were some of the things that stood out to you
1: so my first trip to europe when i was maybe 13 yeah 13 years old perhaps i flew in through madrid and i i didn't actually go to spain really i just flew through the airport And the airport stood out to me in Madrid. I don't know if you remember it. It's an epic design. And I remember it from my childhood, these large, you know, X-beam type structure um, made out of giant metal tubes, essentially supporting a huge wave type of ceiling. And it's this uh, really high ceiling um, with sort of wood planks uh, in a wave-like shape over the top. And at the time, it felt incredibly modern. I hadn't really seen European architecture before. And so it stunned me then. And it was interesting to see as I came back, I was just as taken by it now. It's a gorgeous airport. And then we flew uh, up north to uh, Bilbao. And you instantly felt that you were in Basque country with all of the, the language uh, written everywhere. So I, I knew about, but I wasn't expecting that I was going to feel so out of place with that language, given that I speak Spanish fluently. And then we, uh, you know, we drove around San Sebastian and into the wine country of Rioja and, and into Rivera de Duero. And, you know, overall, it's just a gorgeous country. And I feel like I barely even tapped into the surface.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's something that's overlooked the northern part of Spain. Everyone goes to Madrid, or uh, Barcelona, you know. And the southern coast, which is, I hear, very nice. But, like, I think the culture and the landscape of the northern part of the country is amazing and holds its own in its own right uh, to the southern parts.
1: And not having been to the southern parts, I don't know how it could get much better than than northern Spain, because for me, it was it was an idyllic landscape. And I always love when you have an ocean uh, backed by a, a relatively large mountain range mm-hmm. and so you're on the ocean side you have big strong epic cliffs you go up into the mountains and come down the other side and it's a totally different um, climate and a different feel and everything and so where I was you know in San Sebastian and and Bilbao is is one side of that mountain range and then we went to the wine country of Rioja on the other side and it was so neat to see the difference of that it, totally distinct the rainfall levels are completely different you know it's sort of dry and desert-like on the winemaking side whereas it's really wet and rainy on the coast there um you know the Bay of Biscay is actually a really pretty coastline yeah. San Sebastian I don't know if you went into San Sebastian yeah I did. What's a cool pretty town right we stayed in like one of the old grand hotels of the town it, it was it was a neat experience
0: yeah, we actually did very similar trips. I went to northern Spain for spring break, senior year of college, to visit a friend who was staying out there, uh, studying abroad. Um, I actually had two friends out there. Her and her sister were both out there, so I went to go visit them. Um, and actually, I never saw the Madrid airport. I actually took Lufthansa okay. to Munich and then flew into Bilbao. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah no the the culture in basque uh country is is very different but it feels you almost feel like you're in a new home when you're there it's very welcoming it's it feels very
1: sure yes
0: um it, it doesn't feel so foreign um which is which was very nice um and not your typical spring break spot obviously but I had a lovely time, and uh, I did a little road tripping myself. I did uh, a day trip out to San Sebastian. Um, we're, I was there for a few hours, so I maybe didn't get the same full experience that you did staying there. Um, but I also went to Pamplona right after and mm-hmm. spent the evening there. I didn't stay over, but a few hours in the late afternoon, and that town, that city is is amazing, I would say, even more so than San Sebastian, but, um, and then I did a whole coastal trip across the northern part of Spain over to uh, Santiago de Compostela, and then down to Porto, and then all the way across the country back to Bilbao.
1: So that, you went all the way out into Galicia?
0: Yes, yeah, the, the northwest uh, part of Spain.
1: We tried some wines from that region and I thought they were excellent. Hmm. I don't remember the grape. It was a unique grape of the region, but they were, they were really, really very nice. Did you have any of the Chacolí, the local white wine, very light from, from
0: Bilbao and, and San Sebastian area? I'm pretty positive, uh, the, like the first morning I was there, I remember I was very jet lagged, very tired. And I think I slept in to, like, one in the afternoon or so. Um, and then my my friend got out of class, woke me up, and I had no idea what time it was. We went out, and we went to a, a local square, and we got some pinchos, and, you know, I, I had wine. I was like, <laughs> you just yeah. start the day with some wine, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's what I had. It it's
1: has. definitely Chacolí, which is great. I just bought it for some friends here the other night. But... I would love to go to and replicate the drive that you did, because I, I didn't feel that I got much of enough time on the coastline of Spain. Mm. I, I think driving that coastal road must be amazing. Um, my wife tells me a little bit about it as well. She enjoyed that. She she spent some time there. But uh, going south over the mountains and, and into the 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 driving roads of the different villages, I, it was just you know, a little different than maybe some of the other mountain or country roads that I've been on in that they're a touch more open and less just like really obnoxiously tight roads, a bit more of sweeping corners rather than hairpins all the time. But I sort of enjoyed that. They all had a very nice flow to them and you you just got into a really good rhythm driving them. And I'll tell you, my car ended up being a great companion for it. I was, uh, I was impressed and surprised at, at the same time, I ended up with a, a new golf, uh, wagon. And, you know, I think I've, uh, spoken a little bit poorly about the new golf here on the podcast <laughs> in some past conversations, but uh, I'd say that it, uh, it, it really impressed me and, and, uh, you know, made me, made me question some of the, uh, poor press that it's getting.
0: Do you think because it was a wagon, the characteristics of it were a bit different? And so maybe caught you off guard in that sense that it was ultimately like a different driving experience?
1: I suspect not very much. I I, I bet that the Golf and the Golf wagon drive pretty similarly. It seems to me that they literally just tacked the boot on and, and the rest is exactly the same. And you would just have an ending line to the car, uh, because I actually looked it up. That's exactly what they did. The wheelbase doesn't change. (laughs) So, uh, no, but what, what did impress me was the motor. You know, I haven't driven many modern diesels these days because they're kind of going the way of the wind. And, you know, it only had 115 horsepower, and we loaded it up with four guys and plenty of wine, and it was just so effortless in a way. Sometimes um economy cars have engines that make you struggle especially when when you're loaded up with people and and it just kind of makes the experience a bit less enjoyable but the little Volkswagen diesel paired with a really slick 6-speed probably the best transmission I've ever driven in a Volkswagen
0: mm.
1: you know Volkswagen's tend not to have the best shifters they're they're compromised this was excellent very almost BMW-esque uh, in a way, a little less of that rubberiness that you get in BMW.
0: So but very different from you know the Jetta's that you've had, the manual Jetta's and everything.
1: Yes, definitely different and and smooth, right? They they made the inputs feel a bit more upscale than I was expecting, and they should, as I told you earlier. Could not believe the price of this vehicle: base Golf, base engine thirty-five five.
0: It's a lot of euros. Yeah, it's a lot of money for for kind of pretty much an entry level car. It should be you know the the go to kind of family European family choice car to to have in the in the drive.
1: I wonder how much cheaper the uh, Seat version would be. Hmm. I was sort of hoping for a Seat, given that I was in Spain. That's what I reserved on Hertz. Oh, yeah, it's part of a, 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 a Seat. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, they're, <clears throat> they're so popular that maybe they were all taken out, so you didn't have that opportunity to to drive one. What company did you rent through? So I first
1: booked through Sixth, and I couldn't confirm, like, any car that I wanted. They wanted to give me an automatic, so I nixed that, and I went to um, Avis. And uh, Avis had uh, this uh, great deal. It was half the price of Sixth. Hmm. But oh, when I got there, I started talking to them about what cars were available, as I always do, and they said, "Yeah, well, we have this Golf or an Opel Corsa." And I was like, "Definitely don't want the Opel, get <laughs> the Golf." And uh, she goes, "Yeah, the Golf, sixty-eight thousand kilometers or something." And I was like, "Whoa, you don't have anything newer, because usually you rent cars without many kilometers, and they're." Shot the rental cars. They're just beat to shit. But mm-hmm. she didn't, you know, she said they're having some trouble getting cars now. Maybe that's why I was having difficulty with sixth. And I'll tell you, that was sort of a nice part of the experience for me because the golf stood up. It felt rock solid. And and I was so impressed with how nice everything was after sixty-eight thousand, you know, rental kilometers.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's uh, not something you usually get. I'm trying to remember how many kilometers were on the car that I rented when I was there. Now, I was back there in 2015, and I, too, had a diesel, uh, and it was a hatchback, but it was the 118D, so it was a BMW 1 Series hatchback, diesel, uh, manual. I'm pretty sure it was a five-speed manual. I'd, I'd have to double-check. Um but uh i had a generally a good experience with that car too i had uh I, there was a sport button and i felt like that kind of taught things up a little bit and you could have some fun in the car still but uh not was- only
1: the sport button didn't it have like the sport comfort eco yes. the mode collector yeah yeah
0: exactly just uh, to the
1: left of the shifter
0: yes yeah so it was it was nice yeah i used it to my to my needs if i was on a long highway drive and low on fuel i pop popping into eco maybe a little bit but most of the time i'm pretty sure it was in sport
1: yeah i i couldn't <laughs> could envision that
0: you've had some experience in that car as well right
1: i have i've, I've rented them maybe four or five times actually in europe that the Reflecting back on your memory of that, I was saying it's, you know, sad to see that time gone by. It was always nice to go fly into Europe and get a cool manual transmission rear-wheel drive BMW as your rental car. And you could sort of count on it. The One Series was always available everywhere
0: in Europe. It's like the Tesla Model 3 of today, but back, you know, back then in Europe.
1: So depressing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. I'd, I'd much rather the one series.
1: Yeah, me too, man.
0: Obviously. How do you think, uh, looking back, the one series compared to the golf? Which one did you think you enjoyed more? So
1: shockingly enough, I think the golf was probably a better all-in-all all-out car.
0: Just it's a newer car, so I, I could imagine that being the case.
1: It's unbelievable the advancements that they've made in in overall suspension technology, mm. isolation. Uh, you know, refinement. This Golf was incredibly refined, and the the BMW 1 Series is an amazing car, but it, it was not quite as refined as this uh, Golf was. I do have a really soft spot in my heart for that rear-wheel drive 1 Series, though, and I think that if I could choose one to have going back, I'd take that. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a little bit sentimental, and that, that plays into some factors there. Was the uh, the golf was it cloth or leatherette kind of a
1: cloth cloth? This was the base the base model the, I think they call it in Spain the the, the Jetta Life, which I find that pretty uh pretty, pretty, or, or excuse me the golf, yeah golf variant Life, <laughs> I find that that's a, a cute name for the trim,
0: a very uh, positive look on uh you know that trim level
1: yeah. And, you know, the only other thing I was going to say about it was that the Mark, we're on the Mark 8 or Mark 9, I think it's the Mark 8.
0: Yeah, Mark 8.
1: Yeah, the Mark 8 has got, received a lot of bad press for the touch buttons, right? It, you know, it doesn't have the whole standard um, climate control and everything with, with physical switches. And I will say that it was better than I expected, substantially so, actually. the The functionality was pretty great. But it is just a little less pleasant to be missing a knob to turn the volume on, or to just not be able to quickly adjust the climate control. You have to change away from the map to change your climate control. And what if you don't know where you're going, right? And so it, that that's not ideal, but this one did have um, regular buttons on the steering wheel, which definitely made it a little better. I know some of them have touch buttons on the steering wheel as well, which I don't think would be so nice.
0: And did it have enough space uh, for your other passengers, especially in the back?
1: Huge! It was massive in the back, which I sort of wasn't expecting because I remembered the Golf as being sort of small. But perhaps they adjusted the rear seat location for the variant to make it a bit more spacious.
0: Yeah, you need. They wanted to fit plenty more life in that car, so <laughs> they, they made some extra room. The One Series, I recall, the the rear seats not having a lot of leg room.
1: No, those are practically useless, but, you know, it's the price you pay for a rear-wheel drive sports car in your family hatch, you know?
0: Right, it's maybe for the young kids, while you can still have a little fun, but some practicality kind of thing.
1: What was the uh, best road you drove on with that car while you were there in Spain?
0: Honestly, it was, to my memory, one of my kind of qualms that i have with that trip is i would felt less i think it was like the first time maybe i traveled on my own not in a uh controlled setting i wasn't with a group but you know i went to europe by myself met up with my friends so i was a little less confident really venturing out too much um so i pretty much stuck to the highways and all my journeys and i do regret not going on more country roads and experiencing more of those uh you know b roads to get from place to place um but i did cram in a lot in a short period of time so kind of had to but i do recall driving back from pamplona to bilbao gorgeous stretch of highway that was you know curvy and and windy and just nestled by the the rolling hills of Basque country and the sun was kind of setting behind behind those mountains and uh you know it was just you know the music with the 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 setting and the light and everything. It was one of those moments that gets ingrained in your head of just bliss, you know, um, and I don't recall the the highway, but it was probably whatever the major highway is, a uh, road to from pamplona to to Bilbao. But that was probably the best drive I had. The worst I can tell you was the ten <laughs> hour drive I did from Porto back to Bilbao. That was a long, boring drive
1: (laughs) your passenger uh, do any of the driving as well
0: no I got a manual so it was all me Lauren my friend did not know how to drive manual and she was very nervous going into it she's like Steve we have to get an automatic because what if something happens to you and and, (laughs) I need to drive and I can't drive a manual and I go no 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 everything will be fine I am getting a manual (laughs) and I will drive everywhere She's like, okay, if you're sure.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny. On this trip, I did the same thing. I, I didn't even, none of my passengers drove manual, and I didn't even take it into consideration that I would get an automatic. <laughs> Said, oh, well, I'll just drive everywhere. And and it was nice. But a 10-hour drive back from Porto, that's a big commit.
0: Yeah, I'm still amazed to this day that I did that long of a drive on my own.
1: Were there any coffee or cigarette stops? <laughs> yeah.
0: There was, we did have a nice long stop. Um, I wish I remember the town, kind of middle of the country, middle north of Spain. Uh, It was a nice town. Um, And we stopped and I didn't drink coffee at the time. But I remember getting churras and hot chocolate. (laughs) And it was, the hot chocolate there is literally melted chocolate. Um, so very thick, very rich. Um, and it was very good. and it, it did help me a little bit and And music definitely played a, a big part. I had to bump some like vampire weekend or something to to keep me amped up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. I was getting a little tired on my trip and and I didn't do any ten hour rides, but my passengers sucked. They were all falling asleep every time we were, <laughs> we were driving. <laughs>
0: I can imagine after uh, a few wine tastings uh, dozing off on the road.
1: Yeah, that was the whole argument from them. They were like, well, we should just get a driver. You know, we don't want anyone out to, to drive after the wine tastings. And, you know, I said, no, no, I'll, I'll sacrifice. And it's it's a lot nicer to go on that type of adventure on your own without someone sort of curating the experience for you. You just show up to this vineyard and you're surprised. And just the whole adventure of getting there is is sort of, a part of the experience that I like actually
0: yeah it's it's definitely more engaging and more fulfilling and satisfying to to be a part of it a key part of it getting everyone to the destination
1: we ended up at one of the vineyards and I didn't uh follow the google maps so well my google maps was a little laggy in Spain I don't know why Mm. I guess my internet wasn't working so well and uh I ended up getting us there on this dirt road and we were just bumping through this little vineyard field and they're all wondering what the hell i'm doing and but the <laughs> best part was when we got to the vineyard and the winemaker comes out and he's looking at the car and he's like Joder, where have you guys been <laughs> and i explained to him and he just couldn't believe that that was the way that we got into
0: his vineyard. Uh, like the back entrance and yeah you know. yes so, so just what was your favorite drive, you know, kind of describe what the the road was like and where and and why? I had probably
1: two or three drives that were the best, but three completely different settings. The first, I think I might have mentioned before, was the highway from San Sebastian to Aro, the town which is the center of, of viticulture in Rioja, and it was such an epic highway. I, I kept saying to everyone, I said, this could be in Switzerland.
0: Mm-hmm. I didn't
1: expect Switzerland-like majestic landscapes in Spain. And the, the other thing about it was the road was pristine. It was perfectly right. paved, So smooth, no garbage. Everything was perfectly clean. It, you know, Spain shocked me in that way. It's it's a much cleaner country than France, for example. Mm-hmm. Or Italy, right, where there's a lot more chaos, I think. And I, I, sure, Spain and Spanish culture is chaotic in its own way, but there seems to be some level of order and, and respect more similar to the Germanic countries that totally surprised me. And so this highway, you know, relatively modern, blasting with, through the mountains with lots of tunnels and coming out of the tunnels to just these most incredible landscapes was epic for me and uh, and probably one of the all-time best highways I've driven on. Wow. Yeah, I would have liked to have been a passenger for a few minutes there just to look around because it was so gorgeous. You mentioned the rolling hills of Basque Country. It it's There's sort of just like layers of these rolling hills. And and as you go through them, they're, they're all just, you know, different and interesting in their own way.
0: No, for sure. And I wish I had an opportunity to kind of drive more in them or through them than I did. But I did admire them uh, from afar a little bit you know you mentioned the highways and <clears throat> one thing they were very clean very pristine very smooth and i think i know why uh, you know i didn't know this going into it but i understand that i guess a lot of european highways can be very expensive because they do have a lot of tolls and the tolls can be very pricey especially if you're on a single highway for a long period of time Um, and I didn't find this out until after I had gotten back, returned the car and gotten all my toll charges associated with the car. Um, you know, I think it was like over a hundred euro for all the, the tolls I drove in the six days I was there. Um, and I was shocked, but I guess it's worth it for those types of highways. I think it's
1: totally worth it. And the first time that it happened to me, I was actually in a one series Mm. And driving through Croatia. And it was this brand new highway. There was no one on it. And we were going really fast. And uh, at the end, I think it was like 45 or 50 euros for just the one highway. <laughs> I said to my dad, this is a toll. We pay like 35 cents on the Garden State Parkway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I was so ignorant. How shitty
0: is the Garden State Parkway? Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I think they're definitely worth it. And I did notice that I paid a lot of tolls in spend on these roads. And yeah. Google often gave me the toll-free option. Nice. And uh, they were nice, too, but not as quite as nice as those toll roads.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing I think we both were talking about a little bit that we noticed when we were there is how orderly everyone is in terms of driving uh especially on the highways very strict and very regimented to the rules they move over to the right they stay in the right lane only use the left to pass and immediately get back over it is civilized yeah it it shocked me and it was so pleasant and i remember i flew back into boston and i was just i wanted to cry (laughs)
1: Well, it it is unbelievable that shell shock you have when you come back. I remember when I lived in Germany and I spent you know three months there and I was like 18 or 19 and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I got so used to the way everyone drove there and I got back and I'm in my little red golf TDI driving up from New York to, to Rhode Island. And I was totally flabbergasted about the way everyone was driving on the road. And I recall I didn't even drive fast because I was so shocked by it all. I put the cruise
0: control on like sixty-five
1: and sat in the right <laughs> lane.
0: Yeah, I think I'm. I mean, I was in my diesel Mercedes at the time too. But I'm pretty sure I did the exact same thing. I just wanted yeah. to keep my distance away from all the the chaos and unor, you know, unorganization of it all. You know.
1: No, it, it was so nice, and and uh, I I noticed in Spain everyone drove pretty quickly. Yeah, so they weren't driving like crazy, but they they were all moving. Yes, and there wasn't this major differential in speeds of cars. I think that's the other reason it didn't feel so crazy because everyone was just kind of
0: accelerating. Europeans seem to know how to do that. I was just gonna say everyone seemed competent. Yes, <laughs> they seemed more competent. Not <laughs> schmoes here in the Northeast.
1: Yeah, what a shame that we've we've done this to ourselves, Americans.
0: (laughs) Well, the one thing that uh also got me on the highways is if the tolls didn't get me, I did get clipped by a speed camera on the outskirts of Bilbao, and I actually I'm pretty sure I got it after my ten hour drive back from Porto and I was just so tired. There was some traffic on one of the ring roads and maybe for a spit, it opened up and I got on it and it was just the wrong time to get on it and uh, I got a, I got a ticket in the mail about a week or so after I got back home and uh, I think I tried to not pay it for a while. I don't even know if I did pay it. I don't think I did pay it. I have a strict policy
1: against paying tickets in Europe.
0: Yeah, I was like, what are they going to do? Wh- when am I ever going to go back to Bilbao? And, and how I think- did they even know that you got it? Where's their proof that you received the ticket? <laughs> the mail system isn't that good, you know. You never know. It fell off the boat.
1: Exactly. <laughs> that's that's been my policy, and so far it's worked. They keep renting me cars in Europe. I haven't been, I haven't been banned quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say, after going there, I will make fun of you a little bit because I've never been to a country where they so um, overtly tell you. About the speed cameras, they 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 have standard massive sign every time there's a speed camera zone. Like you cannot
0: miss it; it is so big. (laughs) That's true, and in more of the like the open highways, it was a lot easier to see that sign. You're you're going fast. Once you see that sign, you slow down to what the speed limit is. Go past the camera, and then you speed back up again. And I, I prefer that probably to the random police officers sitting on the side of the road ready to clip you with a speed gun but it it is difficult kind of in the city areas there's a lot going on and uh i think it's a lot easier to get caught by some of those things and uh you know now in new york city all the the cameras are on 24 7 so uh, i've i've already gotten tickets here in in new york for driving 11 miles per hour over the speed limit in a school's saturday morning
1: <laughs> well I, i'll d- i'll do you one better i got five miles per hour in a school zone uh, at midnight <laughs> yeah in in rockaway beach you so. gotta
0: watch out for those kids at midnight man you're crazy <laughs>
1: And it was through, it was with a company car. So the 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 administrative ladies see, keep sending me emails like you haven't paid your ticket to New York City. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to pay them for this. You know, it was, but I had to do it. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I forgot to mention this about the uh, the Volkswagen that I rented. You know, I, I compare any Volkswagen Group product to the Audi Q3 that I owned. And this was far and beyond a superior product to that which which does impress me. The the difference was astonishing. It was just as sophisticated, it had a nicer ride quality. It was smoother on the highway. The powertrain was definitely smoother. Um just excellent overall and and the Q3 was felt a lot more deficient in that sense.
0: Are they the same chassis?
1: Good question. Maybe it's the MLB. I would think that they would be.
0: Does the A3 and the Q3 share share the same chassis?
1: If I had to guess, I bet that everything from the Golf, Jetta, A3, and Q3, everything in that range are all on the same platform.
0: That would make sense. That's what I would think, too. So, um, you know, I'm curious to to see, you know, I haven't driven an A3, how the A3 would do, um, and why the Q3 was such a a shit show for you.
1: Yeah, I... I suppose for the money, I just expected more in terms of the the level of refinement, but as we've talked about before, we always feel like these CUVs are just worse versions of the sedans.
0: Right. No, absolutely. They're, they're secondary thoughts and uh, you lose a lot of the refinement uh, of the car by building up a body and, and everything else kind of goes to shit from there.
1: So. To close things off on this little spain experience of ours steven yeah how does this uh, bmw stack up in your portfolio of rental cars you know i i feel that maybe this was one of those earlier formative rental car experiences for you
0: it certainly was it might have been the first rental car i ever had on my own wow <laughs> uh, so it was my rental car virginity out there <laughs> um I would I would rank it pretty high um in terms of just the overall experience and the you know I felt like it was my car by the end of it you know I felt very comfortable with it uh and you know I'm trying to think of any other rental car that really made me feel like that and we did have a fondness to our c-class wagon that we had in Norway uh, and did make us wish that that wagon was available in the U.S., because we had the C400E, if I remember yeah, correctly.
1: Yeah. plug-in hybrid version of the C-Class. It was 350. Yeah, it was 350, you're right,
0: yeah. yeah. Up to the 400s, yeah. Yeah, so it was a 350E, and we did have the sedan version in the U.S. at that time. This was around 2017. Um, and that was a, that was a nice... It was the perfect car for our journey. It was. Um, it fit with the Norway vibe being a, a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid and everything. And while we didn't have much juice for the majority of our, our journey, <laughs> um, it was uh, you could still feel the experience of the electric motor kind of aiding when it can. Um, and, uh, yeah, it made us wish that the wagon was available in the U.S. But I would say, yeah, the one series... I think was a lot more characterful. Obviously, it was a manual, um, and just being a little bit smaller and sprightly. Um, I think it was definitely a charming and great rental car to have.
1: Well, I, I have to agree. You know, my one series experiences definitely stand up to the test of uh, to the test of time. And as nice as this Golf variant was. I don't think it was one of the most interesting rental cars that I've had. I would say that it was one of the more competent. You know, I, I, it, was, it was all around good. And it suited Spain. I, I noticed that the, the general manner of course on Spanish roads was not to be flashy or too crazy. It was just sort of everyone going with the flow. Yeah, And I liked that about this car. I fit right in
0: yeah i felt the same in the, in the bmw too mine was kind of black on black it was not standoutish. it didn't have large wheels or, or you know kind of loud wheels in any sense um i just felt like i was in a diesel hatchback you know, along with everyone else except i did have a big sixth sticker on the back which screamed i'm in a rental car
1: <laughs> mine didn't thankfully but you know just based on the uh there were a few little stickers next to some of the damages on the car and that, that (laughs) screamed it. But anyway, I would say, uh, you know, Spain Autoholic recommended, uh, and I think that maybe we will have to do that boys trip, uh, to Spain and Portugal all over again and and see what you think of it this time.
0: Yeah, indeed. We'll have to do it in a one series diesel hatchback. (laughs) They're still available. Yeah, well, we could find something else a little bit more uh, characterful and charming, I think.
1: Well, it will be tough as time goes on for us to carry on renting manuals.
0: That is true. Sad but true. You never thought Europe would kind of go that way, but it seems like it is.
1: Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I remember the fight in Norway trying to get us a manual.
0: <laughs> I wasn't there for that, but that's a story for another time.
1: For another time.
0: Well, thank you, Stephen. It was
1: lovely talking to you today, and... Uh, Glad we could share both of our experiences about Spain.
0: Yeah, it's nice reminiscing. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of The Autoholic. You can find us on Instagram at, at the Um And, yeah, stay tuned for hopefully some more Autoholic episodes, podcasts. Maybe we'll get back into the weekly flow and, uh, yeah, have another episode for next week.
1: Talk to you guys soon.
0: All right. Ciao.